The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. I am so excited to be here. I, I, I really do love College Retreat. One, because if you you know, work on staff at Snowbird, or if you've been coming to Snowbird, you know that the heart of the ministry that we have is um, college students. You guys coming in the summers and giving your summers to invest and pour into, you know, high school, middle school students and seeing life change. And it's just, it's a part of the gospel. It's God's story that, you know, from faith to faith that God has brought us to faith and we continue to pass it on. And it's just, uh, so I, I love this uh, season of life that you're in. I found Jesus when I was 19, right before uh, I went off to college. I, I was I did a year of community college, and then after that is when I found Jesus. And so I know that this season in your life is pivotal. It's influential. Some of you are making uh, life decisions that's that are going to affect everything. So what I want to talk to you today about is identity. Now I love. I'm a little bit older, so maybe uh, you don't go as deep as a dive as I can on my Facebook, but I love how Facebook loves to remind you every couple years about terrible haircuts and bad fashion that you used to have, right? It's like, here's a memory five years ago, and you're like, oh, what's up, Chubby John? You know what I mean? And it's like, like, I thought that haircut was so cool, like the one I have now, and I'll look back in five years and be like, mm, you know? But it's funny how when you do that deep dive, you you notice in different seasons of your life how, you know, you changed, right? It's like, you know, when I was in middle school, you know, you could go back and you could see pictures of Gangster John, you know what I mean? And and then, you know, I was in high school as I got a little bit older, I was Football John, you know what I mean? So it was all athletic wear. And then I graduated from high school and I started going to uh, like the Warped Tour and concerts and then I was Punk Rock John, you know what I mean? And... And it's so e- interesting how, like, you know, so much of our outward appearance is influenced by the groups and individuals that we're around. I love going to the mall. I love going, I mean, I don't even know if malls are a thing now. I love going to Amazon. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I love going to public spaces where you could people watch. Because if you go to public spaces and you people watch, it's like, friends wear the same clothes. I don't even think they do that on purpose. It's like you, you walk in the mall and you're like, oh, there's the dudes with the collared shirts and the hair swoop. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, there's all uh, the girls with the, the um, Doc Martin boots. You know what I mean? And it's so funny because I don't think people call, but hey, I'm, I'm going to wear the collared shirt today. Okay, you too? Me too. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But it's just like we naturally gravitate to each other, don't we? You know? There's something influential about the people that we're around, the spaces that we're in. And I think what it communicates is that what you give your heart to, you love. What you give your heart to becomes your God. And it starts to influence everything around us. See, this is, this is really identity. I, I, I wrote, a, wrote down a quote from C.S. Lewis because I thought it was beautiful He says, nearly all human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And the reason I want to talk about identity is, you know, 
right now we're kind of in an identity crisis specifically in the west and there there's there was stable institutions that used to be kind of the stronghold for our identity even apart from our relationship with Jesus and what i mean by that is strong families used to give us identity but now we're kind of in this crisis in our country where s- strong families are almost the minority, right? Two-parent households are becoming less and less. I mean, I came from a family of divorce. My wife's parents came from a family of divorce. And that seems to be more common than marriages that are together. And not just only that, but like some of you went home for a Thanksgiving holiday, Christmas holiday, and the, and the dysfunction that exists in the family doesn't feel like it brings stability or identity anymore, and then not only that, but there's been kind of this, this attack on the church or this deconstruction of the church, right? And so it's like the stability that the church used to bring is kind of losing its grips. And so a lot of us are almost ashamed to identify with the church now, right? Because the church has this terrible reputation, you know, the church is hateful and bigoted and the church is oppressors and who wants to be like, yeah, that's me, you know what I mean? So that's losing its identity. And then a lot of the cultural institutions just in America, I mean, we, we seem like we're in this season in our culture right now where it's like we just identify with the next thing because it seems like nothing is stable anymore. Anybody else feel like that? And it's a perfect, perfect vacuum. There's a perfect vacuum there. So, of course, in our country and in the West, politics is becoming the new religion. And so people are filling that vacuum with, you know, politics. And you might have heard this buzzword, and maybe because you guys are in college and you're taking different classes, you've heard of identity politics, right? And that's basically defined as like identifying with certain groups, race, religion, you know, whatever it may be. And you're kind of like, this is my group, right? And instead of viewing the culture as love your neighbor, we view the culture as oppressed and oppressor. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like we're kind of getting into our groups and the groups get smaller and attack each other and it's more and it's more. And, and, and when you change that lens, you, you know, when you only view the world in two categories, all of a sudden that's where victim culture comes in because now we're elevating the victim. The victim is the one that gets elevated in culture. So of course in culture, we want to be elevated, right? It's like we want the version of success. And if me being a victim gives me higher success, well, then more people are identifying as a victim. You, you, you know, and I'm not this is not a criticism, this is just an analysis. But what you give your heart to, you become. Your identity shapes you. And so whether you're in a season of struggle, maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety like I did when I was 19 years old, I don't think God's intention for you was that to be your identity. But we're identifying with that and it becomes who we are, and it starts to guide us and lead us in life. And I wonder if that identity is going to lead you to purpose and meaning and fulfillment. I can go go in and more and more in our culture, but Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to decide to, to say that and this gives me a little bit of clarity. Wherever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So I want to have a conversation 
with you today, this morning, about identity because I care about your future. Because I think it matters not just where you are today, but five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. What is God doing in your life? We exist and live in a culture that is searching for meaning and purpose and beauty and is substituting it for the artificial and it's leaving them broken and empty and regretful. And God has invited us. I mean, when you actually pause and you look at scripture and when you stop and you think about this intimate relationship that the God of the universe is inviting us to, that he's going to stay with us and navigate us through life, it's just beautiful. So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into our text. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We're so grateful that you're not the author of confusion, and so I just pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Continue to draw us to yourself. God set us free. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to try not to preach two sermons, but I was so excited today that I wanted to go to two chunks of scripture. So I'm going to be in Matthew 16, and then I'm going to go in John 21. And so what I want to do is I want to use Peter as a case study for identity. Okay, so we can't, we can't like go through all of the life of Peter, but I, wanna, I just want to take a snapshot of two what I feel like are important moments in Peter's life. Okay? So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So let's just walk through this passage. It's interesting because it starts off and it says they were in Caesarea Philippi. You know, and a part of the name, you know, uh, Philip, who was, who who had taken over uh, this 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 section, decided to name it after himself and one of the Caesars. Talk about like wanting to leave a legacy and, you know, wanted to find fulfillment and meaning. He's like, I'm going to name this whole town after me, right? That's kind of where we start off and. It was a town they, they worshipped other gods. And as Jesus is walking through and there's so many Greek gods and people are worshipping and identifying with so many different things, he turns to them and he says, hey, what's my reputation? You know, who do people say that I am? And of course, people were trying to figure this out because Jesus was doing miracles and, and we know that his reputation was spreading. I mean, everywhere he went, people were bringing him the sick and you know, the demon possessed and they knew something was different about him, but they couldn't quite put their finger on it. And so they were saying, well, some say you're a prophet, some say Elijah, some say all these things. And, but then he gets to 
And he turns and has a personal conversation, which I think this is extremely important for all of us in this room. It's a question that he wasn't just asking Peter, he was asking his disciples. See, Jesus had invited his disciples to follow him. And that wasn't uncommon in that culture. It was like a rabbi saying, hey, man, come follow me. I'm going to invest in you. And so they dropped everything, and they were doing that. Maybe they were, you know, the lower class, the fishermen, the outcasts, and they were like, you're choosing me? Awesome. And they went. But all of a sudden, there was something more. There was a deeper question that Jesus wanted to ask him that, in fact, he's asking all of us. He's asking you. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Prophet, a teacher, a good man, wise, can help you navigate life, great philosopher. And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, this is his profession. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. He's saying, you are God. You are the Lord. There's nobody else coming. You are him. This is the confession that we make when, when we you know, identify with Christ and when we become Christians. Ultimately, what you're saying is you are God. You are the Lord. There's nobody else. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's funny, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And he's pointing to his earthly name. And back in those days, your name was a part of your identity, the family that you came from, where you lived. Who's your father? Where do you come from? How do you identify? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. See, our identity is wrapped up in something that's transcendent, that's more than just what's on this earth, more than your physical appearance. Now, don't get me wrong. A part of our identity is that we're human, and there's something unique in that, right? In Genesis, it says that when God created man, he created him in his own image. So you being male and female is a part of your God-given identity, and it is a gift from God. And within that identity, we have the ability and capacity to relate to God more than any species that's been created, more than any creation. You have the capacity to have an intimate relationship with God and with others. You are, we're relational beings. We think, feel, we make choices. That's why... Jesus says, hey, when the, when the Sadducees are trying to trap him, and he says, do we pay taxes to Caesar? You remember what he says? Hey, whose image is on that coin? He said, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God. Because he's saying, whose image is on you? You were created in the image of God. You were created to worship God. So render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but render to God what is God, which is you, your image, how he created you. 
But we know the story of the gospel in Genesis, the fall, and there was this broken relationship, and you need more. Your identity needs to be wrapped up in more than what's on this physical earth. It will never be enough because you weren't created merely for this physical earth. You were created for an intimate relationship with God. Something that's greater than all of creation. The creator. And so in this moment, he says, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. The same word that he uses in the Beatitudes, blessed are you. See, immediately there was a transfer. His identity has shifted. And it was something more than physical. See, his standing with God had immediately changed. When he said, blessed are you, he's talking about justification, sanctification. He's saying, you are blessed. You are no longer an enemy of God because of your sin. Simply because of this confession, now you are considered God's child, his friend. You are in right standing with God. You are justified eternally. You are sanctified. Sanctification is this process of becoming holy. I I love to say this. Jesus just doesn't save you once. He continually saves you. See, when you come into a relationship with God, he's continuing to save us because he's alive and he's active and he's moving. And it's funny because, you know, you've probably been there when you're a Christian and you're studying sanctification. You're like, I mean, I ain't perfect. I ain't holy. I don't think I'll ever be. It's so hard to understand because you're like, I see what you're saying, God, but I see how I live, God, and those don't compete. Anybody else feel that way? But see, this is God's commitment to us, not based on our behavior, based upon who he is. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. See, this is bigger. This is, this is bigger. This is the God of the universe speaking life into existence. This is the God of the universe in Genesis who breathed dust into his nostrils and breathed out life. How can that happen? Because it's God. The God of the universe can speak life into existence. And as Peter made this confession, The God of the universe spoke life into existence. And I love this because then Jesus gives him a new name. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Remember your earthly name, Simon Bar-Jonah? That was your identity, but you shall be called Peter or Petros. And on this rock, I will build my church. And see what, now let me give a little clarity What he's saying here is upon this confession is how I'm going to build my church. Not just Peter, but upon this confession. See, upon this statement, upon you are the Lord Jesus. When you declare that Jesus is Lord, when you give your heart, when you finally come to that moment where you recognize you are the Messiah in that moment, on this rock I will build my church, on this confession, you are blessed. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And he says, you shall be called Petros, 
See, all of a sudden in this moment, Peter was given a new identity. And he was something bigger than his, his earthly family and his earthly job and fishing. Imagine the God of the universe saying, coming down. I love that about Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus met me, what he, you know, what he would say. But in that moment, he gives Peter a new identity. And I love this, and it says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the gates. There's so many people that are trapped in bondage because of their past, because of the environment they come into, because of the brokenness of their past, because of what happened. Right, and they live in bondage. You know, you read sociology and you, 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 know, you go to counseling and it's like, it's almost as if you can never be free because you're gonna be a statistic now because, you know, I came from an alcoholic, you know, family, drug addicted. I lost a brother to an overdose. You know, my parents were divorced. You know what I mean? It's like, hey girl, this is my resume. What you think? You know what I mean? I remember having this conversation with some friends of mine, you know, and they were Christians and their parents were getting divorced and they were so broken. And I was having this conversation and it's almost because they were saying, now that's what we're destined to. And I said, and they were Christians and I said, you are not destined to that. You are not a statistic. Do you realize that we live for the transcendent living God? That we're playing a different game. That the scriptures say anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. That God works all things together for good. Was Satan intended for evil in your life? God, the God of the universe, somehow, some way is going to turn it for good. And I know that there's some dark things, and I am not justifying those dark things. But the God of the universe makes all things new. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Your identity is not trapped in your brokenness and the abuse, whatever happened in the past. You are not a statistic. The living God has come to change your life and make something new out of you. You are not a victim. In fact, God is going to use you to rescue people, to bring life to people, to bust open those gates to people that are trapped because they don't know that the freedom is in the gospel. I had some lavender and leaf coffee this morning, y'all, so I'm fired up. <laughs> I remember my friend Spencer, I worked with him after college. I, I did landscaping for a season, and he was a little bit older, and we worked together and ended up finding out he had a drug problem, and he ended up going to prison for meth. And uh, that's, that's a drug. He ended up going to prison for meth, and four years in, he, he wrote some letters, and he wrote a letter to my boss, because my boss was a Christian, and he wrote letters to me, and he's like, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, I recommitted my life to Jesus, and you know, a lot of people kind of throw that off to the side, they call it the jailhouse gospel, like, yeah, you're only following Jesus because you're in prison now, you know what I mean, and they write that off, and you know, part of me wanted to do that in my heart, but I know God has the power to overcome, and it's so funny, because after he got out of prison, God had completely changed his life. 
He's still clean. He's still, he's free. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And it was so, it was such an awesome witness. My boss, who he had stole all these tools from and did all these things, he got out of prison, he gave him his job back. I was like, mm. I was like the kingdom of heaven on earth. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jump over to John 21. I wanted to follow the story of Peter because Peter makes a lot of mistakes and I make a lot of mistakes because even though Peter made the confession and his identity was sealed, it didn't mean that his behavior was sealed. So even though Peter was justified and he was sanctified, he still cut the dude's ear off, right? In the name of Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Not in the name of me, you know? I mean, if you were a disciple, I imagine that the ultimate regret would be denying Jesus especially in his moment when he's on the cross, when he's told you, and when you told him, I will never deny you. And then you have your moment. You deny him three times, the rooster crows, you make eye contact. I can't imagine how he felt. Just real talk. I mean, if you just pause and, you know, So we find Peter in John chapter 21 after the resurrection. I'll just start in verse 2 and 3. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Dynamis, Nathaniel uh, from Canaan and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3 says, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told him, you know what? We'll go with you. They went out and got the boat and they caught nothing. What's significant about that? He said, I'm going fishing. What was he before he was a disciple? What was he before his confession? He was a fisherman. That was his identity. That was his history. That was his path. That was his purpose, his family. That's how he brought income. You know, he was a fisherman. I'm sure those fishermen identified as fishermen. You knew who they were, right? Deadliest catch people like, oh, that's deep sea fishermen or whatever. You know, so many of us identify our identity is wrapped up in our work because we were created for purpose. We were created to actually do something, right? And so somewhere along the way, Peter had lost hope because he had regrets. He made a mistake. So what does he do? He goes back to his old life. I'm going fishing. And it's funny because Peter is Petros, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But instead of influencing people towards God, he's pulling the disciples away from God. Thomas and then says, you know what? I'll go with you. They all jump in the boat. They go out to fish. They catch nothing. Jesus on the shore, you know, he talks to them and he's like, hey, throw your net to the other side. They're like, man, we tired. We know how to fish. You know, we've done this our whole life. Thank you, sir. 
hey, just throw it to the other side. Boom, I mean, massive fish, you know, and they know. They're like, this isn't normal. This is a mirror. You don't just drop a net and you catch all this. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so they knew, and John looks at the shore and he's like, it's the Lord. And Peter grabs his garment, you know, puts it on. And it's funny because he put on his clothes. What does he do? It says he, he jumps into the water. Now, th- this, is, this is probably totally not true, but this is just me, okay? So if I'm wrong, don't judge me. Sometimes I think, did he jump in the water because he walked on water before? And he's like, he's like, God, I love you. You know, I'm going to run to you. I don't know. But in that moment, he was so like, I need to get to the Lord and, and jumps in. And everybody else is like, you good, Peter? You know? But he was just trying to get to Jesus, you know, like he was just, and I can, I can understand that because he's probably like, man, I can't wait to talk to him. I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. Like, like Lord, you know, I, you're the God of miracles and I know that now, but do you still accept me, God? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling here, you know, am I still Peter? And it says that the disciples were waiting to talk to Jesus. It says Jesus made fish on a bed of coals, and I bet you that smelled familiar because the last time Peter probably smelled coals was when he was around the burning coals and he denied Jesus three times. Verses 15, he says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's probably significant that he asked him that question three times, don't you think? I think there's something important to notice here. Did Jesus bring up his denial? Was Jesus harping on his past and his mistakes? It's funny, what did Jesus point Peter's attention to? I mean, I'm sure Peter was like wanting to prove his love. You don't have to prove your love to God. God loves you regardless of what you do. God is love. It's his character. It's who he is. But God does have a purpose for you. And his purpose and plan is a part of your identity. It's a part of fulfillment and meaning in your life that he wants to bring to your life. We are his workmanship created in good works in Christ Jesus, which he has prepared for us beforehand. You're looking for meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Believer, Christian, it's going to be found in God. And so in this moment, as he's having this conversation with Peter, he's directing him back to his purpose. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my lamb. He says, Peter, get back in the game. This is who you are. You are justified. You are sanctified. A part of this is 
you know, I, I know it's like when you read the text, it's like, okay, well, did he confess? Did he repent? He, this, this is that process. It's not just about words. See, Jesus is getting to the core. And the scriptures say this. It's like, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And, and I'm not talking about legalistic obedience. I'm saying it's real. You're following Jesus. You're serving him. A part of your identity in Christ is to serve him. Now, I want to say this one thing, okay? Because there's two main points about identity that I wanted to make tonight or this morning. First, Peter confessed Jesus and his identity shifted immediately in that moment. A part of your identity is that confession, that, that surrendering of your life to the God of the universe. And all of a sudden, something bigger than yourself completely changes internally and externally. You are now right with God. But also, God has given you a purpose. And a part of that, young people, listen, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to work at Snowbird your whole life or be a youth pastor. Whatever God has gifted you, and, and, and you, you know, we have engineers in this room and future lawyers and, and you know, mechanics and all kinds of things and people are going to go in the military. But hear me, your purpose is to serve the kingdom of God in whatever field and wherever you go. That is a part of who we are. That is what it means to follow Jesus is to feed his sheep. So wherever you are, whatever arena God puts you in, I'm telling you what's going to keep you connected to your identity in Christ is to feed a sheep, is to serve the Lord. I mean, how many people get wrapped up in their job? Identity, we put all these labels before Christian, don't we, nowadays? Progressive Christian, conservative Christian, gay Christian. We put all these labels before, but there's no label before Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus is Lord. That is my, our primary identity and serving him and serving his kingdom is the primary identity in our life to pursue him. To be like Jesus, to do what Jesus does. Two things and then I'll close. Me and Zach were talking about this, but I, I do think there's something in this. In the text, in the text, he uses different words, phileo and agape. Peter, do you agape me? You know I phileo you, Lord. Do you agape me? You know I phileo you, Lord. And agape, ultimate love, phileo, brotherly love. And now they've been interchanged throughout the New Testament, but I do think there's something significant here. And then in the last one, he's, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, Peter's heart is down. And he says, you know I phileo you, Lord. And then the very next sentence is this, listen. 21 verse 18, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you 
where you do not want to go. And he said this to show him the kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying that, he said, follow me. See, he's, he's saying, listen, you will pay the ultimate sacrifice. You will make sacrifices in your life. To follow Jesus, you are going to have to give up things and sacrifice things. And God might take you to places and things might happen in your life that you don't want. And Jesus is saying, do you love me, Peter? There's so many people that when suffering happens or something happens, it's like, I'm out because God, why would you allow this to happen to me? All throughout the scriptures, do you love me? Are you willing to give up your life as a sacrifice for many in the same way that I did? Are you willing to live your life to be love to humanity? And if that means that you give your life for another, the ultimate sacrifice, do you love me? For your purpose and your identity, you should be willing to suffer. You should be willing to go through whatever, right? I mean, when I had kids, somebody does something to my daughter, I promise I will give my life for that child. What about your identity in Christ? That is my ultimate identity. I am willing to give up everything for Jesus. What does Paul say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't substitute these false, temporary, victim identities. It's not going to leave you to lead you to meaning or purpose or fulfillment. It'll lead you to brokenness. Because the God of this world is leading you, not Jesus. So two significant questions I want to leave you this morning. He says, "Who do you say I am?" Jesus is asking everybody in this room, "Who do you say I am?" And the second question, maybe you've answered that question already. Where are you? Maybe you've made a mistake. You dropped the ball. You're like, oh man, you're living with this regret. God is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Let's go. Get back in the game. I'm a God of forgiveness and grace and mercy. Don't let your past mistakes be a permanent place of residence. It's temporary. Confess it to God and move forward. What's the difference between Saul and David? Confession, repentance, move forward. Two questions. Do you love me? Who do you say I am? Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.